Welcome to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a Presbyterian USA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more information about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children, youth, and adults at ndpc.org. And you can follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come and join us in person. That's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. For those of you who might be new to NDPC today and joining us online, I want to say welcome to you. You are coming to us at the very end of a long journey. About a year ago, we were imagining what this church year would look like, and we thought about trying to teach the Bible uh, in a bit of a non-traditional way. Instead of going in order of the books of the Bible and doing it chronologically, we decided to try and explore the whole of the Bible, but do so thematically looking at the big ideas that occur across the pages of Scripture. So we identified nine big ideas, and we've spent a month going through each of these ideas in turn. We began last September with creation, and we met a God who creates the world out of nothing, but whose energies are always recreating the world each and every day. In October, we studied covenant, and we met a God who makes promises, relentlessly makes promises, and keeps promises with you and I, creating trust along the way, even when we aren't capable of keeping those promises in turn. God makes covenants with us. In November, we looked at prophecy, this amazing gift that God gives to people in every generation, So that when we break our end of the covenant promises, God gives us prophets whose job it is to cry out and to call us back into a way of faithfulness to God. In Christmas time last year, in December, we talked about liberation. God who is a liberating God, whose desire for all people is freedom, political, economic, and existential freedom. Our freedom and our neighbor's freedom, we learned, are mutually dependent. They are interdependent. In January, we talked about wonder, that we are constantly invited to marvel at God and God's activity in the world and how this practice of wonder unleashes the power of creativity and imagination. And speaking of power, we talked about power in February, God's power. God is powerful, but we noted that God often chooses to use power or express power in the form of weakness. And this expression of power both disarms us and invites us to think about different ways for us to express and use power in the world. In March, we talked about mercy. It's God's core characteristic. God is merciful. And mercy is this wild, unfair, undeserved love and grace that God gives to every human being. In April, we talked about salvation, that when we find that we are unable to save ourselves, God saves us, whether it's from sin or from death or whether it's God restoring in us the image of God that we have lost, God will save us. And so now in May, we have come to the end of these nine big ideas, and we have been looking 
at beloved community, what kind of relationships does God invite us into? What is the life together to which we are called by God? I hope that you might go back and listen to some of these sermons in the sermon archives and do some more digging and exploring. It's been a fun journey to take with you. So today we finish this series with one final look at what it is to belong to the beloved community of God. And today's scripture that we'll read together is a famous one. It's from John's Gospel in the third chapter. I used to watch football games growing up and always someone behind the goalposts was raising a banner that said John 3.16. In this passage, Jesus is talking. He has just spoken with someone named Nicodemus and Nicodemus is curious, curious, curious to know who Jesus is and why Jesus has come. And after he talks with Nicodemus, Jesus shares these words. He says, God so loved the world that God gave God's Son so that everyone who believes in the Son may not perish but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that through the Son the world might be saved. This is the good news of God for you, the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. So as we finish with beloved community, I want to put a few things on the table today, a few core convictions that I have about community. The first one is not controversial. It's that human beings need to belong to a community in order to live. We are fundamentally relational beings. I, I don't suppose I would get too much of an argument from many of you about that. You get it. Your basic identity, the you that is you, emerges through your relationships with other people. Relationships make you. Now, the second thing that I want to uh, get out there about community is related to the first. It's that when you affirm that you are fundamentally a relational being, you are actually expressing something that is somewhat countercultural in our country. We Americans, of course, are relentlessly, relentlessly focused on individuality, so much so that we tend to forget that we are all connected to each other. Political individualism is part of our culture, a, a don't tread on me kind of ethos that, that comes from the time when we were kicking out King George and it has stuck around for hundreds of years. And, and that don't tread on me ethos is now taken up by folks who think that they should be able to go out to eat or, or get a haircut in the middle of a global health emergency. Right? We also in our country have this uh, individualism that comes from the way the market shapes our culture that says that we are individual consumers above all and that our greatest and highest end in life as an individual consumer is spending, it's consumption, buying stuff and building up our private castles. We have this sort of Darwinian uh, survival of the richest uh, as an economic ethos in our country. And 
I love individualism. We would not be the nation that we are. We would not be the people that we are without a healthy dose of individual liberty and autonomy. But the, 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 the versions of individualism that I've described this morning are corrupt and distorted versions of it. And both blind us to the deeper truth which I've already said, which is that we need each other. All of us need each other to survive. So it is countercultural in America to affirm on a basic level that you belong, not just to yourself, but you belong to others. Now, one of the paradoxes of Jesus's teaching that cuts against the grain of American life is that Jesus teaches that you and I are most free when we are in community together. The Christian understanding of freedom is that God gives freedom to us so that we can uh, so that we can love one another. God does not give us freedom so that we can express whatever impulse that comes up in our our brain or in our nervous system without constraint. God gives us freedom so that we can choose freely choose the best form of life, which is love for one another. This is why, as followers of Jesus, life in a beloved community is the best life possible. Choosing beloved community is choosing a life of freedom by enmeshing ourselves in relationships with folks who are trying, just like we are, to love one another into freedom. So you could probably guess from what I've said so far that that I'm a big fan of church, that I think that church is the place where we become the community of God's beloveds, and you would be wrong. So I'm going to spend the rest of the time that I have with you this morning explaining that and hopefully encouraging you to do two things. I want you to, number one, to really like and eagerly participate in a faith community, maybe even North Decatur Presbyterian Church. But number two, I want to encourage you this morning to save your deepest love for something else, for some other kind of community, which I'll tell you about. So I'm not trying to talk myself out of a job today. Uh, I love church. Uh, I, 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 I appreciate the church. I spent a big portion of my life in the church. I grew up in church, and when I got older, I chose to go to church on my own free will. I have a life partner, uh, in part, at least in part, because of the church. I, I would even go so far as to say, I think everybody, right, if you're listening to this, I think you should be a member of a church or a faith community. Churches are incredibly important places. They help us individually, but they also do wonderful things for the world. Here are four things that make churches amazing and important places. Number one, churches are places where we go to feel the presence of God. Now, I know we should be able to feel the presence of God wherever we are, but the world just doesn't, life just doesn't work like that, right? I can't tell you how many times I've heard from, uh, from some of you when you say church is the one time of the week, when I stop everything else, I put all the other nonsense aside and I go to acknowledge the luminous, mysterious, beautiful, life-giving presence of divinity. So church can give us that space 
And by giving us that space, it can it can sustain us and save us. Number two, the church is the place where we tell the story of the faith, right? We keep the story alive. We are storied people, you and I, all of us. We are the stories that we tell each and every day. And so church is a place where we tell these weird and wonderful stories that we have received from our ancestors, people who who lived and wondered and struggled and dreamed just like us. And, and at church, these stories get woven into our story. So so number three, the, the reason, uh, one of the reasons I most love church is that church is a place where the wacky ways of Jesus become just a bit less wacky. Who, uh, who loves their enemies, really? Like, who forgives 70 times, seven times? Who turns the other cheek, right? When one of them gets slapped, who turns the other one and offers that to the person who struck you? Who, uh, who looks at a person who is sleeping outside or is addicted or mentally ill or in prison? Who looks at that person and says, in you, I see the face of God? One of the reasons we need churches is that because church folk, uh, many of us, are listening to these weird instructions and some of us are even trying to live by them. And when we walk alongside these folks at church, it makes doing them ourselves a lot less strange. And the fourth reason I think churches are amazing is that we share the sacraments at church together. Communion and baptism in particular, these are unique moments. I do believe when we feel the truth of incarnation, we feel our bodies during the sacraments being joined into the mystical body of Christ by the presence of the Spirit, and we experience incarnation through the sacraments. So that's four great reasons to like church, at least. The presence of God and the stories that we tell and uh, a less wacky Jesus and sharing the sacraments together. I'm not even going to talk about how Churches help us uh, give our money away and be generous with our time or how much service flows from the church into the world or how many community groups like AA and other recovery uh, groups are nourished through the life of churches or how churches help us develop friendships or, or, or support the growth of children or provide leadership development or sustain music and musicianship in the world. I could go, I could go on and on about uh, how churches are awesome. And yet, the church is not the point. The church is not the goal. Jesus did not come to be with us, and the Holy Spirit does not abide with us today to make healthy churches. The passage from John does not say, for God so loved the church that God gave the Son. It says, for God so loves the world that God sent the Son into the world to save it. As much as we should appreciate churches, if the church is it, if the church is the point, we should stop the nonsense. In the Presbyterian tradition, we say that the church is the provisional manifestation of the kingdom of God. That is a ton of big words uh, thrown together to make a really confusing phrase. But what it means is that the church is the best we've got for now, but it's not it. The church at its best is like a signpost. It directs us towards something that is bigger and better 
than the church. That something better is our true purpose. And here, of course, I'm talking about realizing the fullness of our relatedness. It's what Jesus called the Basileia Tau Theia, the empire of God, the kingdom of God in most of our biblical translations. It's a tongue-in-cheek phrase, I hear it as, an inside-out, upside-down empire that's not top-down domination, but it's bottom-up mutual love and affection and care for one another. The communion of God and God's saints enjoyed by all flesh. That is our purpose, and that is the point. The church is often fine. It is sometimes quite good, and it is oftentimes awful. The more money and energy that the church spends on institutional self-preservation, on keeping our programs and our buildings and our music and our staff going at the cost of our service to the world, the less faithful to the kingdom of God we become and the more we miss the point. No one ever captured this idea uh, to my eye and to my ear better than Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Now, you may know about Bonhoeffer. He, uh, he is um, quite well known in the Christian world. He was martyred. Uh, killed in part because, killed in large part because he was part of a plot to assassinate Adolf Hitler. But Bonhoeffer got to that place, to that kind of critical decision after watching the church that he loved, the church that nurtured him, fail to be an agent of beloved community. The church had failed to nurture disciples of Jesus who could live in such a place of integrity that they could stand with courage against Nazism. The church's utter failure forced Bonhoeffer to try and imagine what it would mean to be a Christ follower without a church. Even before the war, Bonhoeffer's thinking was already moving in that direction, leading him toward a Christianity without institution, without organized religion. He has a beautiful little book about the church that talks very little about church. It's called simply Life Together. There, he says, that a Christian life is about discovering our lost humanity. We discover our lost humanity in a community that journeys with Jesus at its heart. When you and I share life together with Christ in our midst, we give and receive gifts from each other. Humility, integrity, honesty, and forgiveness. The community of Jesus is a community of human formation, he says. A community that does certain things over and over and over again each day. And these things form the character. They form our being. We pray, we read, we sing, we eat, we work for the common good. In this life together, in Christ, we learn what it is to be a person. And we embrace in the process our calling, our purpose, our ministry. Our true ministry, Bonhoeffer says in Life Together, is not 
some job, some function in the church as we often think. Our real ministry consists primarily of listening to each other and of bearing one another's burdens. Bonhoeffer imagined that it was being fully immersed, not in the life of the church, but in the life of the world. Not the world as we want it to be, but the world as it is this very day. And bearing the sufferings of our neighbors, which Bonhoeffer said are in fact the sufferings of God. By being immersed in the life of the world and bearing one another's burdens, we become a human and we become a Christian. That image is one I am holding with me during these days when we are out of the church. We've been out of the church for a while now, and the truth is we will be out of the church for a while still. The longer we spend in this strange time, the more it feels like a true disruption, like a break rather than an interruption that we will return back to business as usual. I know many of you feel your separation from the physical church as an ache and as a loss, and I don't want to diminish that sense of loss, but I do want to encourage you to receive this time as much as you are able to as a gift. We don't have the luxury now of escaping to the church for a few hours in which we can be intentionally spiritual. All we can do now in this time is live with Christ in our midst. Each and every day we can pray, we can read, we can sing, we can eat together, we can do our work and pitch in for the common good. And above all, we can keep listening to each other and keep bearing with one another, bearing each other's burdens. I hope you are feeling the sufferings of your neighbors, feeling all the ways that our community is both being pulled together and torn apart, listening deeply to the rhythms and the inner lives of your own self and to the people around you. Are you bearing each other's burdens? If you're doing this, perhaps when we return to church together, to the building of the church, we will be even more aware that that church exists, not so that we can gather there, not, not just for us, but that church exists primarily for the well-being of the world which God so loves. The church can be a wonderful place. I've named a lot of reasons today why this is so. We make friends, we share food, we sing, we serve, we pray. But all of those things that we love about the church are intended to point us to something bigger and something better. They point us to the deep joy of life together. They point us toward the inside out mutual belonging of the empire of God. They point us to the beloved community that one day will be known and experienced by all flesh. That is the point.
Thanks be to God. Amen.